Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 12, issue 581, and continuing our run of Star Wars games. Today, we're looking at The Force Unleashed and its sequel, which was cleverly titled The Force the Forced, the Force Unleashed 2. The Forced Unleashed would have been <laughs> something entirely different. Anyway, joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. And John Salmon. Hello. Welcome back, folks. Yes, they are third-person sci-fi fantasy action games. I suppose if you wanted a touchstone, I think that it's fair to say that God of War on the PS2 was a pretty big influence on these yeah, yeah that's certainly... how I would describe them. They're like yeah. Devil May Cry style games. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, that I kind think of... especially God of War with the red and green coloured bars and the mm-hmm. QTE bosses, QTEs, yeah. uh, the big scale set pieces and all that kind of thing. I think I think uh, looking at when this came out as well, I think God of War 1 was 2005, late in the PS2's life. Mm-hmm. And this was 2008, so it kind of marries up. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about both games kind of at the same time, not literally, but uh, bouncing between the two. There's a story to be told. Uh, There's some good resources out there if you want to get some real grit and dirt on the development of these games. But it's fair to say that the first one probably had more time and money put into it than the second one. Uh, That said, we have also got some correspondence from the community, as always, including one person who much prefers the second game. So. There's always someone out there. Uh, our histories, though, Brian, uh, have you been with us on a Star Wars show before? Forgive me, I forget. Yeah, we did um, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, and also uh, yes. there was, I swear there was another one, too. Oh, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, there it is, yes. Oh, uh, you were on that as yeah. well. Okay, so you're like, uh, obviously you're a bit younger than me, but uh, you're a bit of a Star Wars dude. Yes, absolutely. Um and when Force Unleashed kind of was in its initial marketing run, I was very excited. Um, it, I was loving the idea of seeing what they do with Star Wars kind of moving into the Xbox 360 generation. And so I was a, a day one purchase for the Force Unleashed um, proper, and I bounced off that game so hard <laughs> into, into a galaxy far, far away. Uh, <laughs> um, I um, I remember a very specific moment um, hmm. that was a boss fight that just yeah. um, a- it just it rubbed me so the wrong way. And I think <laughs> that I was not in the right mindset. And it was definitely a time uh, both age wise and gaming wise where. Um, I think I had just started my like first real job type job that required like mm-hmm. time and effort and I didn't have as much free time on the side. So when I wasn't having fun with something, I would just put it down and walk Bounce. away. Um, yeah. So sure. I've gotten and way you were probably expecting that. this game. Obviously, you know, you always expect a bit of challenge and maybe a few spikes, but there was the, the whole sort of marketing and the vibe of this game was you were going to be this kick ass mega yeah. <laughs> yeah dark side light side possible jedi and then so it always felt a bit weird to come up to these kind of really tricksy bits in a yeah. way like obviously they had to put some challenge in there but i think sometimes the ways in which they did and we'll come on to this was a little bit uh antithetical to the whole kind of the thing that they'd gone so big on the marketing mm-hmm. yeah and so uh, when I when when that happened, I c- kind of put it on that list of like this is a game I want to come back to. I want to come back to, and then in about 
I think it was like 2014 or 15. I went back to it and, and finished it. Through, right. uh Just a, <laughs> just because I wanted to see it because I, I love Star Wars, so I figured it out. I never played the sequel until the preparation for the show, though. So um, when yeah. I put myself down for, for this episode, I was good for um, the first one. And then when I saw they were going to be combined, I'm like, well, here's the perfect reason and opportunity to go back and replay them. So yeah. um, I replayed them both uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. I've replayed the first one twice and... and Almost done with the second wow. playthrough of Force Unleashed Two now. Um, that I'll probably see through to the end, if not just for the the, the other the other ending achievement, because that's the yeah. type of person I am. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, they've played them through. You know, really, um, the second game uh, I finished in one sitting the first time. So um, yeah. and then um, yeah, probably like you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've spent a collective fifteen to twenty hours with both games, just kind of getting you know revamping the story and seeing the second one for the first time, which which I can say was a real bright spot for me so i'm looking forward to talking about it all right okay um which versions oh i played excuse me i played backwards compatible on xbox series x okay yes yeah. right now john i think you're a bit less of a star wars person than uh, brian and i yeah that's right i mean although i think i'm not a particularly like bad age for it again i think me and brian are probably almost exactly the same mm-hmm. um age maybe brian's very slightly older like maybe a year or two in it but i think I think it just kind of skipped me over because um, as with a lot of the other things that I've kind of come to myself in life, like, you know, my, my sort of various fandoms, like sort of horror and video games and like uh, metal music and stuff. I never had anybody in my life when I was a child who kind of was interested in those things. I didn't have any family members or like, you know, the usual sort of older brother who gives you his old CDs and stuff like gets you into the music. So I kind of came to everything on my own. And because I didn't come from like a nerdy household at all, I mean, arguably there is that period I'm born in 85 where there was a bit of a potentially like a fallow period for Star Wars between the the two trilogies coming out. 16 years, yeah. Um, and I think that the the prequel trilogy, what started in 1998 or 99, mm-hmm. so I think by the point that had come out, I was probably a little bit too old to have been like super excited for it because yeah, if it you wasn't weren't excited like, for the first ones, you know, if you weren't already into it, you know, it'd probably be a weird thing to kind of jump on board at that point i would think yeah without like you said without somebody kind of championing it for you definitely like nobody nobody in my life ever kind of introduced me to kind of nerdy stuff i sort of found things on my own steam and (laughs) yeah there were were plenty of star wars fans around but i also feel like i was a bit of a late bloomer so by the time star wars mania was kind of going on again in the late 90s with like the re-release of the original trilogy which i do remember somebody taking as to the cinema to see A New Hope when it was re-released in, what, like 97 or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I would have been 11 or 12. I remember that, and I remember liking it a lot, but I also think by that point I'd started being interested in uh, sort of a more kind of really hardcore sci-fi, like, or yep. a more kind of sci-fi mixed with action or mixed with horror or something like that. So by that yeah, point... Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like I was more interested, you know, my my kind of 1997 sci-fi film that I liked would have been like Starship Troopers. Sure. And I would have watched Starship Troopers and being like a, you know, for lack of a better word, like a little 12 year old, I can kind of imagine me seeing Star Wars and going like, oh, this is a bit too like tame for my liking. Where's where's like the blood and the swearing and stuff in it? Um, So it kind of 
I never got that like wave when I was young enough to to kind of sink into it. And I do like a lot of Star Wars stuff. I think, unfortunately, you know, this may be a, a common sentiment among fans, but the kind of the some of the extended universe stuff I think is far more interesting than the like the official releases. I remember reading some of the novels and stuff when I was in that kind of teenage sort of late teen years and really liking some of those because I guess the artists and stuff had the freedom to go ahead and make, you know, more kind of niche things and less family friendly things. Um, yeah, I remember like playing the dark forces games and yeah. when the phantom menace did come out, I remember having possibly the full game, but certainly I remember a demo mm. of like the mm, fact yeah. the official phantom menace game. Um, it was a PS one demo. I remember mm, and some of those things kind of got me into it more. I love shadows of the empire on the N64. I love rogue squadron, which we're going to talk about soon. Yeah. Um, I love uh, the pod racing game from the N64, although so playing that racing. again recently, that's not quite as interesting as I used to find it. But I feel like, yeah, so by the time this came around and I'm in my early 20s and the kind of the prequels have come and gone and been sort of semi-slated and I wouldn't say forgotten, but kind of, you know, not um, not talked about quite as highly as the franchise had been in the past. I remember this appearing and being kind of excited for it on the 360, obviously, at the time with, you know, the vast amount of games that were going on. I think in 2008, I probably was absolutely loving playing like Mass Effect and probably still on like Fallout 3 and various other like really, really big games. I think Dead Space came out this year and I loved that when it arrived. Um, So it was like, you know, an embarrassment of riches on that console. Then with all the arcade stuff that was going on, which to be fair in 2008 was largely like re-releases and stuff. So this came, I think I saw the price tag on it and was like, well, it seems kind of good. But then I think I probably heard some of the reviews and stuff and and put it off. Um, So I didn't actually get to it the first time for a couple of years after it came out. I'm looking at my like metadata and stuff now, Mm. and it's almost exactly two years after it was released. I, I mean, I can't say this for sure, but I suspect that I rented this because at this at this same sort of period, like early, like mid 360 era, um, we had a blockbuster that was very, very close by when I was living in, in Sydney. And I used to go there all the time and rent things. And being, you know, that sort of semi cheap person that I am, I tend to wait until they went on to like, you know, the three night rental or the five night rental before I got something so that I didn't have you know, feel like I was blasting through it. I I mean, um, so I'm sure that this was kind of, I rented it. I kind of had like a slow period with it. Um, I think from memory, like when I first started playing, it wasn't really what I expected and like not quite what I'd been hoping for. So I remember playing the first couple of levels and thinking, well, this is, this is fun enough, but also it's quite difficult and it's kind of got some, some jank to it. So I remember putting it down and thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not even very far into it. And then coming back like a week later, and obviously it was that point where I was like, I'd played the first two levels, but I think as we'll probably discuss, there's like 10 levels in the first game. But realistically, like the first two, two and a half levels makes up like half of the game. It's like really front loaded with the length of them. Um, hmm. So I think I, I remember coming back and like just blasting through it and kind of enjoying the second half more. Um, and then I've played it at least a couple more times since for like the hardest difficulty achievements and the DLC stuff that was, had been released by this point. Um, and then I replayed it again this week in literally like 
two sittings over the yeah. course of like four and a half, five hours. I, I'm kind of with so much time removed from it. I'm kind of shocked at how quick it is. Like just mm. sitting down and playing on the medium difficulty. To be honest, you know, difficulty spikes and stuff um, in here, notwithstanding. Um, and then, yeah, I guess it it obviously hadn't made enough of an impact on me that I ever played the sequel. So exactly like Brian. Um, I've played the sequel this week. I think, again, I played it in like two sittings, five hours max uh, across a couple of days. And I think my takeaway now is like, these games are just kind of big, silly fun. It's just like mash some buttons and watch some spectacles happen on screen and kind of enjoy it. And that's fine for like 15 years down the line on a console that hopefully looks a bit better than it previously did and runs a bit better. Because I do remember the the complaints about like the graphics being a bit dodgy and some of the frame rate and stuff in certain areas being dodgy. So thankfully now with that Xbox Series X backwards compatibility, it it certainly felt easier and nicer to play than it did the original game. Certainly than it did fifteen years ago. Yeah, I remember buying this one really clearly, and I'm not sure if this story will be of any interest to anyone because it's kind of inconsequential, but. For whatever reason, I have a really vivid memory. It was uh, it was launch day, and I remember we went shopping, my partner and I, uh, to uh, a Tesco in Shoreham, and um, I remember thinking, like, umming and ahhing, uh, to reiterate what I've said on previous shows we've done about Star Wars games, I am very much the Star Wars kid. I was five when I first saw it on initial release, and I was pretty much obsessed with Star Wars until... Uh, I guess the nineties at some point, um, probably until the prequels came out. Um, and then, and then the kind of the, the magic was, uh, I, you know, I'm still a fan and I still watch everything pretty much. Uh, uh, but not yet. I, I, I lost that sort of that childlike kind of total obsession, which when the figures, the, the Palatoy or Kenner figures were coming out in the, in the, from the seventies to the, to the mid eighties, I was just, it was just my, my thing. Um, I was just, yeah, totally besotted with all the toys and getting the millennium Falcon and the Atat and everything like that. It was a huge deal as it was when I first got a job and I could afford the VHS tapes to buy for myself so I could watch them whenever I wanted. And I watched them hundreds of times each and so on and so forth. And following from that. So I played quite a lot of the star Wars video games, including some, some that were, you know, perhaps less than stellar, but I enjoyed them nonetheless because it was more Star Wars and I tended, you know, I got to wield a blaster or a lightsaber and yada, yada, yada. So when this one came out, I'm looking at 2008 and uh, it was quite a year for games, as was 2007, as I recall, as is every year if you look at the best. But uh, that sort of period, it was uh, either coming out or had come out. We had Rock Band and Rock Band 2, Left for Dead, Gears of War 2, Smash Brothers Brawl, uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 was that year. FIFA 09 was a kind of strong return to form for FIFA. And it was, uh, you know, there, there was more stuff on the way, Fable 2 and oh, goodness knows what. Um, and so I felt like I was sp spending money hand over fist on games, especially on things like Rock Band and Guitar Hero World Tour with all the equipment and stuff. So I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe I should skip this apparently decent but not incredible star wars game anyway so the shopping happened and uh just as we were about to leave uh, for home uh, my partner locked her keys in the trunk of the car 
So we then had to go all the way home, which is uh, a reasonable, like an hour schlep back home to fetch spare keys and then get the bus back and get back into the car. So I'd resisted buying it on the first time. And of course, I couldn't resist on the return <laughs> journey. I like I had to justify having taken two hours out of my evening. So went back and bought The Force Unleashed. Ended up playing it over the next nine days, as I can tell from my achievements. And uh, I only ever finished it on the easiest setting. Uh, for whatever reason, I just played it on the on the lowest setting. And so that's given me the opportunity to come back and play it now on Series X and uh, finally get the, the medium difficulty achievement. And uh, yes, I also hadn't played Force Unleashed 2 until this point. It was a game with gold three years ago or something like that. It's been sitting in my library. And uh, I remember the reviews being uh, considerably more negative than the Force Unleashed one. So I hadn't got around to it, but now I have. And I've played it and opinions will follow there. We should say so we've all played the Xbox version, uh, but it should be said there are there's multiple versions and there's two distinct types of version because there's the the HD versions, PS3 and 360 and PC, uh, although as apparently a bit of a lame port that only ran at 1080p and 30 FPS by default without mods. But there's also a standard def version which was made for the Wii with motion controls and the PS2 and PSP, uh, which is a slightly different game. But that's also the basis of the one that was re-released a year ago for the Switch. And you can buy it right now on the eShop. LucasArts made it in-house uh, when they were still doing that before they farmed off the license. And this is, of course, lest we forget, before the 2012 sale of the Star Wars IP from Lucas to Disney. Anyway, Aspire. Uh, handled the Mac conversion and the Switch version, which is one of the one of their things they do. And LucasArts published it themselves. The director on the first game was Hayden Blackman, who'd already worked on uh, as a writer and director on Star Wars Starfighter and Jedi Starfighter, went on to direct Mafia 3. And uh, he left at some point during production of the second game, handing the reins over to Julio Torres, who had also uh, worked uh, in some capacity on the first game uh, it was released on all formats pretty much uh september 16th to 19th the game was released uh, ben johnson is our first contributor from our patreon who says i played the wii version of the first game motion controls were fun for about five minutes i think the force would have been a bit better if it had stayed leashed <laughs> Designer Matt from our forum says, I picked up The Force Unleashed for my Xbox 360 back in the day, drawn by my love of third-person action and, of course, Star Wars nostalgia as a kid of the 80s. It was fast and slick, and I remember having enormous fun back-flipping around the place, slicing up stormtroopers and choking them out with force grip. As your powers levelled up, it got very over the top and had your character pulling off feats that I knew were probably not in keeping with the Star Wars story, but honestly, I felt so cool doing them that I didn't care. My main memory is of the last level before the final boss, with the protagonist dropping ten stories down into the Death Star, landing gracefully and proceeding to take on absolutely everyone and everything in it all by himself like a superhero with a lightsaber. Ridiculous, but so much fun. So the sequel arrived a couple of years later on uh, fewer formats. The 360 PS3 and PC versions along with uh, DS and iOS, no Java or Engage this time, or PS2, <laughs> but there was a Wii version again, uh, October, late October 2010. 
Designer Matt said, I tried the sequel with high hopes, but remember feeling very let down. It was incredibly short. And the story, which had your character being cloned out of nowhere, then killed off again not long after, felt clumsy and tacked on. For me, The Force Unleashed 2 really felt like the developers had done the bare minimum, which was a big disappointment. Uh, yes, it had a highly truncated development time. Uh, I think at this point, I'm sure there are reasons, but Star Wars, uh, the Lucas people were looking to put Star Wars out to tender, basically. And so we ended up, you know, with games via EA and uh, and others. As we know, plenty of them never even made it to the shelves, including lots of uh, promising products. But we're kind of back on track now to some extent. The reviews for the first game, according to Metacritic, were 72 which is, I guess, why I'm denied about buying it at 40 quid, because, you know, it's not bad, but it's not stellar when there was so much spectacular stuff around at the time. The sequel, these are the 360 and PS3 versions we're focusing on, 10% lower at 62. User reviews from us people who buy and play games. Steam, the original has a mostly positive from 6.7 thousand users. The sequel is mixed from nearly 5,000 folks. Here's Tolkien Taters, who says, The sequel was so much better than I expected. It looks better, plays better, with more fluid combat and solid set pieces, although some do overstay their welcome. There were a couple of times in the first game where I knew what to do for a sequence, but found the controls difficult, and that never happened in the sequel. The sequel also had a cleaner look that aged well with some impressive lighting and reflections. I also kind of like the story. It's still dumb, but I was engaged enough. Still sucks that Juno is more just motivation for our main character rather than her own distinct character. It's short, but I don't see that as a negative. Playing these games gave me some weird nostalgia for games I always wanted to definitely play in middle and high school, and I definitely prefer the sequel. Yeah, Tolkien Taters and I, I think, might align uh, in kind of after our conversation's all said and done here. There, mm. There's something about, and I think it's a big part of playing the games back to back which obviously we would not have done if you were playing these at you know when they released but when you play them with the first one and the second one i i found myself just seeing all of the gameplay improvements from one to two that really pushed me through when the gameplay itself was what frustrated me a lot about about the first one so uh, mm -hmm. that and also i agree with tolkien taters that maybe after that first one and some of my frustrations having the game be a couple hours shorter wasn't also also wasn't a bad thing but you know i also paid five dollars for it this time around as opposed to a full 60 so uh, you know yeah you, you get you get what you pay for in certain certain aspects there yeah sales wise uh this was the original was the fastest selling star wars game yet at the time of release and bear in mind there have been star wars games around at this point for uh well since the early 80s so yeah 20 something about a quarter of a century so that was no mean feat uh selling over 7 million copies the original the sequel no sales figures are available but uh steam spy or whatever it's called uh has a suggestion that there are 1 to 2 million steam accounts with it in them hmm. which doesn't always mean anything but uh you know what you're going to do right <laughs> Let's get into the scenario. The characters and the story will issue a spoiler warning. These games are getting on a bit and they are no longer canon. However, you may wish to play them without surprises ruined. Let's talk about the script and the cast and the performances. And yeah, the, 
the fact that this is uh, George Lucas sanctioned fanfic, I guess. Yeah. Do you have fun with it, Brian? Did you think it was dumb or did you think it was just? Oh, I thought it was profoundly dumb. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I, you know, there's a certain amount of post prequel acceptance of the profoundly dumb when it comes to Star Wars. And I I think there are a certain amount of us, and I'm not lumping either of you into this category because I'm not quite sure. There's a certain amount of us that were in the theater at midnight watching The Phantom Menace, hearing about midi-chlorians and looking around the room and being like, is this, (laughs) is this terrible? Is this terrible? It feels terrible. Am I wrong? Like, was my, were my expectations too high? And, uh, and so kind of beyond that, I I have, I have grown, especially with the way I reserve the original trilogy in my head, like, like. I, I got much less precious about it over the course of those prequels. So by the time this came out, I was just kind of willing to go down the path. There's there's that <laughs> what what I consider a woefully dreadful scene at the beginning of the game where Starkiller just gets done given being given this like really dour speech from Vader about having to hunt down this Jedi and it's General Coda and he's you know, he's out and there he's gonna you know, you need to take this Jedi down, this is your first real test, and you're like, Yeah, okay. And then the very next scene is like a hapless adolescent with his droid companion in a hangar yeah. looking at a girl. You know what I mean? Like, like the way it jumped from that to that, like I, I remember at the time and then revisiting again, just being like, this is ridiculous. But I, I don't necessarily think that means like, I don't, I don't take that as a negative or a positive. It just kind of is what it is. And it kind of is what those Star Wars stories had developed into by that point. So it's one of those things that like, I, I, think i just have a like a light acceptance of the fact that hey star wars doesn't have to always be like Mm. this super meaningful thing to me anymore it can be ridiculous and dumb and i don't need to feel offended by that it's not actually the bible right exactly yeah yeah and it's also like i think what plays nicely with the first game for me is one of the things that i always really like about sci-fi stuff and i think probably um you know i might sort of might go down the path and say that I think possibly one of my favorite universes that's been created is Mass Effect just because of how mm-hmm. rich all the different locations and the different species and stuff um, yeah. in that world are. And I think that Star Wars has extreme potential to be easily on that same level, but it's it's with the the sort of the main release stuff I feel like they haven't always hit the hit the possibility to do that. I mean, I just want to see weird planets and aliens with like ball sacks for faces instead of like <laughs> everybody just being like totally we're just a human, but I'm actually blue or I have like tattoos on my face or something. Like I want to see some weird messed up stuff in Star Wars. I want to see planets with like, you know, circling black holes and all this kind of strange stuff. Mm. And I think that the the way that the story for the first game goes, where it's basically Vader going like, go to this planet and kill this Jedi master who's there, gives it a great opportunity to like, you can go to the trash planet. You can go to a like a forest world with a whole load of like weird creatures that kind of, they're vaguely humanoid, but they kind of gallop along like horses. And it's clearly like where Rancors are just like running around in the wild. Like I want to see all that stuff. And it's really cool that you do get like four or five big levels in this first game that are, it's somebody's going to correct me on this and be like oh no actually that planet appeared in this book and that planet appeared in this movie and 
but I like seeing all this stuff that I haven't seen before and have, you know, give it the real opportunity to show off like different color palettes and kind of different character models and things. And, um, the fact that you kind of vaguely revisit some of those places later and stuff is, is interesting, but also the, I really like in the first game that it is just like, go and kill this Jedi. We're going to see a Jedi who is, I mean, let's, let's be honest. He is basically just Liam Neeson's character from Phantom Menace, right? He, looks almost identical to that guy he kind of dresses more the curmudgeonly, same I yeah say. yeah i guess i mean part, maybe part of the reason he's curmudgeonly is because he threw him out of a spaceship and he kind of somehow survived like him. going into <laughs> orbit of the planet or something underneath him goodness knows how he managed yes, that. he basically nags you for the course of the entire next two games yes uh, pretty much with a really, really kind of testy tone yeah. to his voice which i found quite grating at points <laughs> yeah but like the fact that you've got that and then the next planet you get to the end of it i think it's the next one and you're fighting crazy frog with a like a mech suit thing on him like hopping around on the walls Same he reminds species me species as one of the pod racers but uh, yeah. i couldn't tell you what that that is called <laughs> no me neither um he it kind of reminds me the way he like flips around and jumps up on the walls reminds me a bit of um some of the bits where yoda like cgi yoda's fighting in one of the prequel movies kind of very sort of yeah. yeah like small like flipping around like and this this thing kind of ends up being like a spider with his whole suit thing that he's wearing, and then the next one's like another kind of like the one that you're fighting around the outside of what looks like a sarlacc pit. I don't know if it's actually a sarlacc. The I think it is. Yeah, creature yeah, that's coming out of it. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean the, 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 there is a absolute grab bag of fan service yes. in this game. It is just like yeah, here's this person, here's that planet, here's this thing. Yeah. Um, and, and then if you hadn't had I'm enough okay fan services, like, well, we'll make a DLC of Tatooine and yeah, Jabba will be in really, it. And there will literally yeah. be like, yeah. you get chucked into the Rancor pit and you can torture the little droid things feet like they do in that movie yeah. and stuff. It's just yeah. like, yeah, did you, did you catch all of the references here? I can imagine. Yes, I mean, being the like, implications for the story uh, as they were then. And as I say, they had Lucas sign off, uh, which meant that they were effectively in, you know, expanded universe canon. Um, we're pretty. This this is set between you know the, the the original trilogy and the prequels, and you know I mean it's a it's about as far different a take on that as you could get from Andor. Um, it's you know completely goofy and obviously riffs on a lot of what we already knew about Star Wars. But I actually think that the the core idea of Vader, rather than um, you know chasing Luke about, he actually goes and you know gets himself a kind of surrogate uh, foster son to corrupt instead it's actually quite an interesting idea but i think for me the the story flounders because they decided as was very much the craze and you know it's still a popular aspect of of modern games we were talking about death loop the other day which also gives you good good bad ending choices they wanted so much to give you a light side dark side ending choice that the the character arc is absolutely all over the place. He's good. Yeah. He's good. He's bad. He's stroppy. He's emo. He's, oh, he's kind. Angsty. He's funny. He's he's absolutely n- completely inconsistent. I mean, I'm not you know I'm not not here to defend the writing of Anakin's turning in Revenge of the Sith, but um, it's uh, it's kind of even more. At least at least he just kind of rapidly goes downhill in that, rather too rapidly, some might say. But this is just they've they've had to hedge their bets so much because they don't know what the player's going to choose, right? Yeah, I would. I I think it would have been a much more interesting choice to just be Vader's apprentice and just yes. be dark side the entire time. I agree. Um, I think mm. that we, and and this is not to to 
to criticize the maturity of of the player because everybody's going to come to this at a different time, a different point in their life. But like, we're much more comfortable now, I would say, with stories that put the villain or the antagonist as the main character and mm-hmm. finding a way to make them sympathetic and finding a way to make them at least, you know, if you don't agree with their choices, you can see the logic behind why they're making it. All those things like we're long past the last of us of the world and, and things like that, where where, you know, your heroes don't need to be these, you know, these, you know, Jesus archetypes, you know, and right. But at this time, you know, when by giving you that light side, like they couldn't they couldn't make Starkiller this absolutely despicable hate a, like just yeah. you want to hate this character and then put you behind the controls in 2008 mm-hmm. i think that they'd have more success doing something like that now um and uh, but at, at the time and you can feel it when you're playing it again it just the game just feels torn because you are following vader's whims and vader mm-hmm. like continues to maim you and hurt you and like mm-hmm. and 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 then like gets you back on his side and then you know like, no i need you to the emperor needed to think that i didn't want you alive blah blah blah, all that stuff and but then you're going out and like you're just kind of not really knowing what your motivations are you're just kind of doing what you're told it, like it becomes what should be this exciting choice or this exciting like battle internal battle of am I good? Am I bad? What am I doing this for? Just kind of becomes like a go through the motions and realize you're just going to press one button or, or the other at the end. And, um, yeah, which, which I've seen as well, like barely, yeah. barely anything they could have had not to sort of sit here and like backseat develop or write a video game, but that's kind of what have, we do. <laughs> I would have loved to see like, you know, uh, that choice and then like a final level or a final half of a level that are t- drastically different from each other, depending right. on your choice. Yeah, it's just that 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 the binary nature of it all, it does it does keep the character of Starkiller perpetually trapped between one and the other. Like you said, Leon, like he he goes from like that scene at the end of the first Star, Star the Force Unleashed one where he's getting ready to jump out and go down to the Death Star and Juno pulls him in for that dramatic kiss. I'm like, why, what, why do you like this guy? Like what, like what is it? This guy has been just the biggest wishy washy. Also true of Padme in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it turns out that like Lucas, I watched the, one of the YouTube videos on it. Like Lucas was like, you know, he has to have a droid partner, a romantic interest. Like he had like all these things that had to happen. Right. So like, so it makes sense that they're putting that in there. It's just it's one of those things now is that like like this this beautiful like highly talented pilot who's like out on her own striking out from her own adventure is like latched on to this kind of like with a cleavage <laughs> showing Brian. Oh, of with course, well, naturally. Showing. I mean, it was a video game in two thousand eight, so <laughs> it um, sure was. And uh, but yeah, it just I, I don't know. It was one of those things. Would she and I don't remember this from when I played in twenty fourteen or fifteen, but. Um, when it, when that happened, when she leaned in for the kiss, like that was one of those like slow clap moments just for how dumb it was. I was like, yes, there I think we they go. even That's... wheel out the layer and solo love theme as well. Possibly. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. which, uh, yeah, it's it's so it's so good to me for the wrong reasons. But 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 by that point of the game, if you weren't willing to just kind of throw your Star Wars inhibitions just out the window and yeah. just ride along with it, you were already hating it, I think. That, you that's need to know that if you walk into a room and there's a load of rebels and a load of stormtroopers, it doesn't matter. They're yeah. all going to get forced, repulsed out of the, off the <laughs> exactly. walkways. I'm going to shock d- every one of them. The lightning <laughs> will be chained from rebel to trooper to rebel, and I won't care. 
Uh, yeah, was, yeah. It's, yeah, just there's a line from Vader where I think you you're going to like the Tie Fighter factory or something. He's just like, just kill everybody. We need yeah. we need nobody <laughs> left alive who's seen you here. It's like, yep, sure, yeah. that gives that gives me perfect opportunity to just blast everything. Then <laughs> no no nuance to this. No like story reason or you know we have to try to not kill the stormtroopers because yeah. they're clearly on our side. It's just like nah, just ruin everything you want. Blow it up. No witnesses. Go. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so interestingly, this actually this uh, this came out the same year as Dave Filoni's Star Wars: The Clone Wars animated series came out, which of course has continued oh, yeah. under the Disney umbrella and has created loads of now canon law, which uh, which feeds through into the live action shows and is going to create its own films and things like this. But uh, Sam Witwer, who is the the star of the game, not only provides the voice and likeness of Star Killer, which you know isn't always the way. Uh, aka Galen Merrick. He also voices Palpatine, having earned the part during a read-through of the script during development, and uh, would later go on to provide the voice of Darth Maul in Star Wars The Clone Wars, who of mm. course was voiced in The Phantom Menace by Peter Serafinowicz, the uh, the English uh, oh, yes, comedian. The Dark Souls guy. I, I actually really like Sam Whitworth's performance in both these games. Um mm. I, I like him as a voice actor. I I really became I became this is such a weird sentence. I became super attached to him after playing Days Gone, um, which yeah. he plays. He's the main character in, in Days Gone, and it was Doofus, one of those whatever his name is, Deacon Deacon Saint John, <laughs> do, do, oh, yeah. Doofus Saint John. Uh, um, so like that game starts out with like me kind of hating that performance, but then after the fifty hours I put into it, like I ended up really loving it and thought there was a lot mm. of nuance to it. And yeah. now I don't feel the exact same way about this game, but um. I it whether you like that style or not he's he super overcommits to every line and I I, it, <laughs> I I've got a bit of a soft spot in my heart for that so um yeah. and I I did think that in over the course of the first game and then definitely into into Force Unleashed 2 there becomes a not it's certainly not the character arc but there's there's this arc with the voice acting and and the character development specifically with Starkiller and Coda, and as you said, like Coda became grating to you, Leon. Like, like they, like it did feel to the end at the end of both those games that those characters had formed some sort of relationship that I could identify by the way they were talking to each other and their tone of voice, which to me just kind of reflected the earnestness of those performances. So I, mm. I, I wouldn't say that I bought into the story, but I, but I did, I did get in, and those are probably the characters you hear talk the most. I would say so, except for maybe Proxy in the first game, but. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I did, I did grow to enjoy those performances. Yeah. And by the way, um, my, my issues with, with Kota, I actually think, uh, Cully Fredrickson puts in a, in a good performance. I think that the direction was obviously to him for the, for the, essentially telling the player what to do a lot of the time, um, over the, over your earpiece. And um, the direction was obviously, you know, make it sound like you're a bit, a bit impatient and fed up. And uh, unfortunately, what happens is, of course, if I th- sometimes I, I think all the uh, some of the what you're supposed to do next things aren't terribly clear. And so you end up with him just repeatedly barking at you and, and, and nagging. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah. that's what becomes irritating. Yeah. And it, it I mean, it doesn't help that it plays so much into the second game as well, where you've got that final final kind of section at the end of it. Um, where there are points that he is literally telling you, like you have to take those snipers out so that we can get the, you know, like move the move our little yeah. party along and stuff. And there's there's far too long where he's just kind of 
basically just giving you your instructions and telling you what you have to do. And it then kind of comes to this point where, again, you have this like very long, slow, quite tedious ascent up all of those platforms. Yeah. And he is kind of just, he's just going like, you've got to do this. You've got to make the decision. We're all going to die otherwise. And your guy's just like quiet for a few seconds. And it's like, I'm sorry, Jen, or it's like, I, I can't do that. I, I have to. And the way he just sounds so like downtrodden and grumpy about it all. Like, I appreciate the performance. I think, unfortunately, it's, as you said, it's possibly just that his, his character and the motivations aren't as, as well fleshed out as they could be, like, aren't as nuanced a- as they could be. <laughs> And that that marries with some of the frustration in the gameplay because he's like specifically in that part of the second game you're referring to he's like you gotta you gotta get up there you gotta find out where where Vader is and you're like yeah I'd love to if I could force log on force lock on to the right object as opposed <laughs> to the camera just swinging yeah. away to this sniper from forever away because I clearly can't force grip him from here I just want to raise this platform you know like like it just it, his dialogue matched with maybe some frustrating gameplay elements does fuel that fire for me. <laughs> Well, the thing I found, which is that uh, you weren't allowed to jump on the top of this particular tube. Bec- uh, sorry, you weren't allowed to jump into this particular walkway because it decided that it was a thing that you had to lower further to stand on top of <laughs> yes, it. Otherwise, yeah. it didn't count, you know, stuff like that. That's a really good example of the kind of the jank of, of the second game. But yeah, I do think Natalie Cox, as Juno puts in, in a great performance, but I think, you know, she is uh, she is absolutely just becomes in the second game. She's motivation. In yeah, the she's just well. like princess, you know, princess yeah, peach exactly. motivation. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Tolkien Tatus from the forum says the story does what I generally dislike the most about a lot of Star Wars media in particular, where it's constantly going, whoa, look, it's this character instead of making its own unique story in the universe. It's also got one of the dumbest, most self-congratulatory endings I've seen in a game for the good route. How the hell did our dipstick, edgy main character inspire a rebellion? Honestly, the evil route probably would have been more fitting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's about as different, as I said, about as different a take as uh, as Andor as that we've seen recently in terms of, you know, setting up how the rebellion comes about. Um, I mean, it's kind of more traditionally Star Warsy in that it's uh, the the game. I mean, in that in, in in that it's more you know kind of straightforward and fantastical and you know cowboys in space and space wizards and all that stuff. Whereas Andor is you know political intrigue. But um, but it's a I would say it's a pretty good place to point if uh, if you if you ever come across any of the online discourse about you know all Lucas Star Wars was godlike and all Disney Star Wars is. <laughs> is uh is is subpar because um yeah i think um i yeah i'll take andor over this story of how the rebellion was formed because yeah it doesn't for me it didn't ring true at all the idea that um star killer brings together uh bail organa and and uh mon mothma and all these people to uh to fight the empire yeah it's it's kind of weird that scene around the table before they get all stormed by the stormtroopers, where Bail Organa is giving that <laughs> Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa is giving yes, the, he's in the game the uh, the that speech about how they've all come together, and I'm looking around this table, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself like, like each one of these people has a reason to just knife Starkiller in the back yeah, right now. We did this. <laughs> you know, every one I, of them I killed Crazy Frog, and this happened as a result. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. not the consequence of my actions. That yeah, I that's it. Yeah, that's it. Was one of those things. It's just like I. It wants you. It wants to shoehorn that that story into 
your actions in a way that just never quite fits and it it only gets worse over the course of the game in my opinion that that it doesn't marry with mm-hmm. each other and i think now i i think that's what have put me off the game in 24 i mean when i finished it but i mean what would have put like kind of rubbed me wrong about the game as opposed to the gameplay which is the reason i initially bounced off but at that point like i said before not to just beat the world's deadest horse is that like i was just you're on that journey, and it was one of those things where you're like, well, I'm I'm five sixths of the way through this game. I'm not gonna not see it through, yeah. but it I didn't I wasn't emotionally invested in what was about to come. I guess either way, you get to the end, and it's like, do you want to fight Vader? Or do you want to fight the Emperor? I'm just kind of like, I don't know which fight's easier. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Come on, man, play uh, on the hardest difficulty. Right, exactly. Which one's yeah. got the easier button pressing scene at the end of it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the end of the end of this game. Potentially, there's a light side and a dark side choice, a literal button press while uh, there are voices off actually appealing to you to make one choice or the other. Uh, And then it either way, I think it potentially sets up a third game, which obviously never happened. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what ending of the second game was considered canon at the time. I'm not sure, but I don't think um, we know, probably. (laughs) Yeah, I so I haven't done the dark ending. I did the light side ending the first time where you capture Vader. Um, which could, like you said, that could really lead to some interesting things. Like you have Vader on a ship as you as you're traveling across the galaxy. Things things will go wrong. The sequel trilogy, um, differently. Yeah, exactly. And and then, um, oh no, of course, sorry, it's set before A New Hope, isn't it? Right. But it would have again, still would have had implications. Yeah, and so I I don't know. Um, at the end of my game, dead Juno got resurrected because reasons. Um, I'm not sure how she survived, but. Um, she got one or two voice lines right there at the end, um, which is kind of frustrating. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like it just, it didn't feel right to me at the end of that. Like being like, was I a clone or the original star killer? I don't know. No. Um, like they don't really ever, they don't really ever resolve that thread. No, there's a whole big sci-fi classic sci-fi, uh, or not even sci-fi, but you know, fiction trope there about, you know, the nature of identity. What is the spirit? What is the soul? What is, what is, what is existence? Um, but it <laughs> doesn't go into that. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the graphics. Um, so, uh, well, I think we've all replayed this on an Xbox series X. Is that right? Yes. Both yes. of them. So here's the thing. I remembered this game looking okay. Um, you know, some nice animations, but yeah, it was a bit scrappy. I think the frame rate was probably a bit sketchy. I mean, it was targeting 30, maybe it dropped at points. Um, still runs at 30 frames. There's no frames uh, per second boost, nor is there no, uh, nor is there any auto HDR on this release. What there is, though, is 16 times pixel upscale on the first game. Uh, and I've got to say, I thought it looked tremendous. Like, I thought the game looked apart from things like the some of the planet design like the scrap planet just looking like a visual mess yeah but mm. areas where you know corridors and things like that where you've got reflections and shadows and lighting and you've got uh, and th- this game goes big on havoc physics with things smashing and whatever and um the combination of that with with the big old resolution upscale i thought the first game looked absolutely tremendous for a 15 year old game personally did anyone feel the same or am i have i gone insane the, 
I don't think you've gone insane. I think that there's certain things that were really rough, like some of the, especially in some of the cutscenes, like the yeah. facial animated. Oh, theory. sure, yeah. The, way the, the, the FMV stuff is, yeah. is a different yeah. matter altogether. Yeah. But, but the like, I remember. I th- I don't I don't know how to describe describe it except for saying the mushroom planet with the rancors yeah, on it. Planet. Um, they <laughs> like when you the first time you like force push one of those warriors you're fighting through like the mushrooms and they like wobble back and forth and like do all that. I was like, wow, this is like surprisingly cool like if a game did that mm. today i'd be like hey look at that you know what yeah. i mean like i i thought it was a pretty neat and i think john already mentioned this is that like the juxtaposition of the color palettes between planets was such a nice change in that era because everything that was the brown and grays right you know what i mean yeah. like i i love fallout 3 you mentioned it earlier but that yeah. game is in sepia tone pretty much yeah. you know what i mean like it's just famously has one tiny area of green right. it's like <laughs> You're very much drawn to it as a quest that I think is called exactly, Oasis. Yeah. Oh, like, what do you yeah, want out the nuclear apocalypse? One bit guy. with trees, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Um, but, but yeah, uh, yeah also, it would have been weird if you rolled yeah. into Megaton and there were palm trees and you yeah. Know, but anyway, um, but yeah, no, I thought that 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 really did a lot to it. Like everything in the game pops, and I thought like um, you you marry that with like the animations of the combat and everything else. Yeah. Like, this game mm. in motion does not look bad. Like it, it mm. has, and yeah. I, I found myself enjoying that part of it a lot more than the actual playing of the game um but yeah sure. no i was i was really surprised um at i wouldn't even say held up because you can tell that it's a game from a different era but just yeah, how how nice things looked kind of in yeah. general as a rule yeah. in, in the first game i think it's even better in the second game honestly um uh there's there's yeah. moments of that second game where you're going through you're kind of approaching the arena um uh looking for general coda who's held captive and um, they're like these, this kind of cityscape with these, like, like these purples and pinks and these mm. interior designs that are like, you can't really interact with them that much, but they're ornate and like lush and cool. Like I, a lot of velvety reds and things. I, I, mm. it, the games in general, I thought were, gave you a lot to look at and a lot to appreciate. So the second game yeah. doesn't have any sort of resolution boost on the Series X, un- disappointingly. So it looks grainier and rougher. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think their tech had, um, you know, moved on a little bit. Uh, so this this game, I, I I can't remember if I mentioned, but by all accounts, it had a nine month development period. The Force Unleashed Two, Ooh. which I think is apparent in some of its repeated sections, some of its jankiness, uh, yeah. the lack I mean, of it's... enemy variety, the lack yeah. of certain things but having said that i think camino where you start and end the game looks pretty a pretty stellar like the rain texture and everything yeah um and and some of the cut some of the sorry the set pieces where you know you're falling or flying forward and things like that uh, they've got some cool depth of field effects and um and all that but i think yeah there's quite a lot of cut and paste went on in terms of encounters and and uh backdrops and things like that but throwing um throwing casino machines around and all that kind of thing and smashing force expelling everyone out of windows and stuff like that still has a kind of a charm to it oh massively i think the second game kind of understands that to some extent as well like even just boiling down to things like you you look at the achievements for the second game and there are a bunch of achievements that are like yeah pinball enemies off those things in that um that level those those little red things that you see on the floor that yeah, look yeah, like bumpers. Like There's an achievement yeah. for like throwing enemies at them. There's an achievement for smashing up 
a certain amount of casino machines. There's achievements for like dropping people out of windows. There's one in the DLC. It's like you know the most fan servicey thing I think I've ever seen. That's for like drop kicking ten Ewoks, which is what you do to them <laughs> when you do the little like the little grapple attack. You pick them up and you drop kick them, and it's like yeah, they knew what you wanted to do in these games. So, like if you are playing this and also looking at the achievements, they're trying to make this kind of fun and like include some of the dumb things that they've they've put in here for you um i think the like the the major difference with the second one to me was that the levels didn't have any sort of feeling of being broken up or anything like i had realistically i had no idea how far i was through the game when that first level feels like mm. it goes on for so long yeah. and i'm like well i i saw on one of the screens where you like pick you pick your game you pick whether you're playing the campaign or the dlc and then it does give you like a little chapter thing. So I scrolled through it and they're all blank before you've played it. But I could see there were like eight chapters or whatever. I was like, okay, okay. So there's like eight levels in this. Played that first level and thought, wow, if if they're all eight, you know, eight levels the same size as this, <laughs> then this yeah. game's going to be yeah, surprisingly yeah. longer than the first one. Because it took me like an hour and a half to get through it. And Absolutely. Somebody had, yeah, I thought the same, yeah. same exact thing, yeah. Yeah, and then I went back to the menu, looked at the thing again and was like, Oh, that count, that takes up three of those things. Wow! Mm. And then the mm. second level is kind of the same. It's like, yeah, compared to the first game, that it had like stats for the levels. It had like score. It told you how many holocrons and stuff there mm. were. It had like optional objectives. Um, to the point where the second game kind of feels a bit lacking. Like those things don't really do anything for me. But it was kind of disappointing to not be told at any point how many of things these holocron things I've collected and how right. many of them I might have missed. Um, and specifically, like, you know, if I did miss them, maybe there's somewhere when you go back to the game and you replay, replay a section, it tells you, like, what, you know, how many things there were in it and the sort of things that you might have been able to do. But not it's not quite, you know, like the breakdown that you get at the end of the level in the first game that's just like this, 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 mm. and you have a point score for it. Yeah, which, it's very video gamey, like, but yeah, not unwelcome. Well, it made me wonder if was the landscape of games that much different two years later that they no. decided, nah, people don't want that stuff anymore. People don't want broken up levels. People want like a more streamlined, like filmic yeah. style experience or whether they just... Change of director, I suspect, was yeah was the thing. I suspect it was something that, uh, that the guy who stepped in had less care for and also the nine-month development schedule. Yeah. It was like anything that's not essential was probably jettisoned, so... Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's the kind of the more sad answer, isn't it? It's like, did they just yeah. do it for a budget cut reason? But it, you know, it's it's very difficult to place your mindset back how it was fifteen years ago. And I've done mm. a lot of thinking about this with the way that I feel like the games were released within the DLC and coming out at full price and stuff. And it really made me think with the first game, like, I sorry, I feel like I have gone totally off the the point that we were actually making here, but like it just made me think about like what sort of games were coming out at that time, like where the indie game uh, scene was, where the first summer like... of arcade just after. Yeah, just exactly. After. Like a lot of that stuff really took off. Braid was a game. massive influence on this game. <laughs> but yeah, like huge, in... huge. Yeah. Jonathan but... Blow's influence just you know, <laughs> went all over this game. That's why that day, there's actually a bunch of hidden puzzles in that Dagobah level yeah. where you just walk down a tunnel and talk to Yoda. But yeah. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> But it's kind of wild for me to think about like how this was considered to be like a big AAA thing and it went through like the hoops of full price game with a couple of like full price DLCs and stuff at the time. 
yeah. that I think you would not get a release like that now. Now that budget games and like indie games and stuff are more common and that, yeah. you know, there's now like a million games released every week as opposed to a handful back 15 years ago. Like it really feels like it's a game of its time and that time well, has kind of passed, a, which is The fact that it's also a PS2 Wii and Wii game is well, probably yeah, and an end game as well. <laughs> Like it, yeah, it, From it's another so, time. It's so weird, like trying to trying to judge this now with the the things that have changed since, and being like, mm. you know, I I could when I was sort of googling stuff about this and like trying to find like information about the DLC, all I was finding was just people moaning about how short it was, and it was <laughs> kind of like, yeah, I guess yeah. that's true, but also the mindset then was very very different than how it is now like now you can't move for people who are just tossing free or like virtually free <laughs> games at you now yeah, it's like a crime when a game comes out and isn't immediately given to you on game pass or like immediately given to you on the um you know the epic game store or something as a freebie on launch day like i was, I was reading so by the by i was reading some uh xbox store user reviews of the capcom arcade stadium uh, thing and it's got like an average of two point something and m most of that is because of all the one stars reviews saying this is a con you have to buy the games <laughs> it's like <laughs> imagine buying a game why isn't everything free but then the flip side of that is that Antstream arcade thing that's just been released for yeah, consoles I just, that is i just got that yeah. it's billing itself as like 1400 games yep. and again news article about that everybody going i'm not paying a monthly a yearly fee for this i don't need another subscription also all 1400 of those games look awful where are the nintendo games why isn't there a pokemon <laughs> game on this <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's just yes. ridiculous a lot of like, people don't know either way around it goes it doesn't yeah. work but i feel like we were much more forgiving yeah. in 2008 with the the just the sheer number of games that were not being released then compared to now and like how pricing and stuff was different even though i as i said i bought it at my initial purchase of of 39.99 um i didn't i wasn't it wasn't like i was thinking you know this is outrageous i was just thinking i'm buying loads of video games and this is one isn't the best reviewed of all the games that's around at the moment but of course as I say, then fate took me back to the shop. And of course, I would have ended up buying it anyway, probably. But uh, but yes, even though I played it, I guess I played it for nine days, as I say, based on achievements. Only played it through on easy. Um, what's actually quite fun, I've realised, is that you can continue your game in a kind of new game plus way and carry on back through the game with all your power-ups. Yeah, that uh, made the second yeah. playthrough of the first game a lot yeah. more fun. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And um, so, yes, in total, I've obviously I have it digitally now. I guess it was a, a game with gold or something at some point. But I I guess I played it for, I don't know, 20 hours at that point, 15, 20 hours, maybe um, two pound an hour. Even in 2008, that's not a bad value proposition no, compared to almost all. anything else. Um, and I had, you know, I had fun with it. But uh, we should talk about the audio just because we just need to say it sounds like Star Wars um obviously most of the sound effects or well that's possibly not true because i don't want to do down the work of the audio folks who did specifically work on this game but it's fair to say that ben burt's legendary soundscape has been heavily employed throughout with the lightsabers and the explosions and the sounds of things sounding very much like they came from the original uh, trilogy or the prequel trilogy You've got a number of John Williams' own themes repurposed here. Sometimes, I would say, inappropriately, but oftentimes doing the job of 
making you know that you're in a Star Wars, which is um, something where I think as as talented as a lot of the musicians that Disney employ now, um, they've they've moved so far away from the John Williams sound in some cases that it's yeah. uh, it's a bit disorienting. The main title theme, though, for this is written by uh, LucasArts veteran Jesse Harlin, who um, you may know from uh, Yoku's Island Adventure most recently. Oh, really? Uh, oh, that's yeah. awesome. The music yeah. in that game is yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's, he, he's, the he's, main he's, theme he's, from that is an earworm to this day. He's absolutely great. Um, but the actual score incidental music that is neither... John Williams nor Jesse Harlan is Mark Grisky, who'd previously worked on Jedi Starfighter and the Old Republic MMO. Uh, anything to be said on the Star Warsy sounds that you'd like to say? Any any standout audio? As the appropriate flute and clarinet trills as the as the words finish their scrawl <laughs> and then you know scrolls yes. down to the planet. Um, yeah, I it's none of it's at all disappointing, but I don't think any of it like outshines other work done within the franchise you know it's it's right. it all seems very star wars appropriate to me uh, without yes. necessarily standing out um, the laser guns thinking... are high in the blasters are high in the mix which is mm -hmm. again something which if I, if, if I am critical of disney's star wars it's the the fact that the laser blasts are quite apologetic sometimes whereas classic star wars they really sear your ears yeah um i it's one of those things I, I try to re-listen to the soundtracks like the day of recording just as kind yeah. of, you know, strike my memory Mute. and yeah. and everything about these two OSTs. I was constantly looking at the YouTube video to see, wait, what level is this from? Wait, where was this? What moment did this from? And none of it really kind of broke through and, 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 you know, and, you know, inspired a memory or anything sure. like that. And I don't mm -hmm. think that's necessarily a uh, indictment of the soundtrack or of the audio. It's just kind of it. It very much is what it is, and it stays in that lane without branching out in any real, you know, real wild ways. Yeah, I don't know if I was actually having, like, glitches, or if there were points where the music was just reasonably quiet, or maybe the mix wasn't right on my it end. It happened but... to me, too, a lot. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe it's some back compat shenanigans possibly or maybe That's... they were present in the original game but yes yeah. i had a few sound dropouts and things oh i had loads specifically after dying in an area and reloading right. and fighting and thinking hold on is that in the be... first or second game the second game the may first well be one oh, okay think, the me. second game may well be buggy in that respect right <laughs> but yeah just there's um a specific like... gameplay sequence i'm thinking of and i can't and honestly this is probably an indictment of the games i can't remember if it's from the first or second game now <laughs> um it's where you have to go around the transponder pillar and and force lift all eight of those pylons out. <laughs> yeah. And there's an ATAT uh, right, yeah. around and uh, or ATSC around and uh, um, yeah. Anyway, that I died there a number of times, and each time I reloaded, there was no music at all. It was just the sound effects, uh, okay. which okay. actually made it really convenient for identifying enemies, <laughs> but where, yeah, where yeah. they were coming from. But but yeah, that that happened to me very often in that section. Okay, I'm assuming I had the same glitch, and and mm. yeah, that I'm pretty sure that section was in the first game. Just yeah, a, okay. yeah, another thing that kind of made the first game feel like very gamey to me was that idea that you had these levels. They almost always had a boss at the end of them, and then kind of finished afterwards. Whereas the second game, it was like I fought a boss. I was like, oh, it must be the end of the level. Oh no, it's just going to continue. Yeah, it was yeah, like weirdly disjointed feeling after that. But yeah, this uh, this does segue into gameplay. But yes, there was one moment where uh you are assaulting a big gate but you can't force open it until you've taken out these two towers up high left and right uh two emplacements turrets 
and um it's it was kind of indicative of the encounters in in the second game because there you go in there i think there's like two scout walkers or variants there thereof atsts and you take them both down and then there's kind of like a dramatic cutaway to a door and then another one walks out yep. <laughs> it's just like one yep. more yep. just like i actually laughed out loud i was like what is that supposed to be like a moment um i've just killed two of those and now there's another one <laughs> of it <laughs> yeah um there's a lot of reuse of enemies in the second game in particular yeah. uh, mm. in various configurations i would say uh, let's have Veronica Jane from our Patreon start us off on gameplay with a relatively negative take, if I recall. Not before nor since The Force Unleashed have I played a game that, to this extent, packed everything fun about it into the demo and set me up for a major disappointment. The first level where you use the Force to throw stormtroopers out of windows into the void of space or string them together like a barrel of monkeys, pure video game glee. The subsequent levels that become about enemies that half your powers don't work on, snipers on the other side of the room and tedious boss fights, a lot less glee. Not to mention that the game's big trailer capping set piece of using the force to pull an entire starship out of the sky turned out to be a badly explained fiddly exercise in waggling thumbsticks until you stumbled on the right action legendary that star destroyer <laughs> bit because it was it was used to sell the game and yes this was one of my strongest memories of this game from 2008 is that bit was awful oh, it's, <laughs> it's so dreadful, annoying isn't it it's so <laughs> dreadful and you don't it, it's one of those things where you're not quite sure if you're actually doing it right or wrong no. and does the start destroyer does the point of it need to be pointed at the center of the screen does it need to be pointed at the center oh, of the yeah. base you're trying to pull it into here come and the, then tie the fighters, tie fighters oh, come back. <laughs> it's like oh my god they so clearly added those thumbsticks late oh. in the day and Whew. it and and like this there's this one point in the entire game where there's a kind of light a color indicator to, to tell you whether you're doing it right or wrong but it still doesn't really help until no. you uh, like i'd forgotten kind of even though i eventually did it back in 2008 i had to completely remember how to, i remembered it being fiddly but i couldn't remember what the technique was i also learned through experimentation that you know, normally you're you're like hammering right trigger or holding right trigger to grab things. The best way to deal with the TIE Fighters is just pummel the right trigger because any touch of the TIE Fighter sends it spinning out of control. Right. I thought you I were supposed to like properly grab them and throw them or something. I'm trying to jump into the top and right and left corners as they're yes. flying by to try when they light up white and like and try to grab. Yeah, them. you're no, absolutely right. Work. No, you just if you just stand to the side of the screen and just slam on that right trigger, eventually they all go, yeah. you know, flying by. It I, doesn't tell you that. No, no. It took me a number of tries this most recent time to get through that. Um, yeah, that's that's um, unfortunately. I think that is the worst offender of any sequence of this game, of either game, honestly. But it's unfortunately indicative of, of the problems kind of throughout. Like, that's just yeah. kind of a culmination of so many of the problems pieced together. A very droll QTE fixed with fiddly lock-on, fixed with the force powers that you're supposed to be. And as they said, and I'm not, I'm going to use uh, a swear word here for Jay, but this is what they said in their little documentary mm -hmm. about it that the, the whole theme of this game is wanting to kick someone's ass with the force it was like their mantra yeah as they developed yeah. the game 
and and then you're in this section where you have all the force power in the world, but your health bar just keeps going down and down and down because these TIE fighters are blasting it, and you can't just grab one out of the sky. But then in the next moment, you're supposed to believe you can grab an entire Star Destroyer out of the sky. It's like, it's, uh, it's, it's a maddening mm. sequence. And what's interesting is, uh, I think since then, we've seen the films, uh, possibly in the Disney era, we've seen a few uh, characters wrangling with ships. I think Ray in The Rise of Skywalker and uh, and Vader in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Although he gets uh, he gets hilariously duped by a second spaceship, as if he can't use the Force. Um, I mean, this is more of a this is more of a, a whole Star Wars uh, issue that I have. But they they talk about how uh, size is irrelevant, or Yoda famously talks in in Empire about how size is irrelevant. But it's weird how much more effort it takes <laughs> it takes anyone to do something big with the Force than something small. Like that uh, doesn't follow really uh, in in my head anyway. Um, and yes, QTEs were obviously in vogue at this point. We were, uh, I guess, uh, 2001, uh, seven years after Shenmue. Uh, and yes, three years after God of War, which had kind of, I th- kind of feel had attempted perhaps partially successfully to move QTEs on from being purely almost arbitrary button presses to the idea of making them a bit more diegetic mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, hammering a button on the left of the controller will make something happen that appears to require effort on the left side of the screen rather than it just being press this sequence of buttons and the thing will play out so they've gone for that but oftentimes they're weirdly fiddly like one where you'll it'll tell you to hammer a button and then you'll hammer it but you'll hammer it once too many times and it will cancel out the next part of your QT because you press that button one too many times and all this stuff which now I just don't think a triple a game would walk out the door with but here it's uh it's present you do kind of i did learn to get around most of it by the end did you did you yeah i, I think so the the problem with, with let me tell you the problem with qtes i'm going to solve the problem right now for everybody no for um they uh the, the problem with the qtes in this game and i i completely juxtapose it against god of war uh the original god of war game mm. is that the God of War game with this QTE is that if you replay it now, they do become repetitive and they do become kind of, you know, yeah. uh, how was it? it's just old fashioned, it feels right. Yeah. But the visual spectacle of those in those games, I think, was the payoff. And because you got to see these really carefully handcrafted animations and these sequences that make Kratos look super cool or super violent or whatever, you know, and um, in the Force Unleashed, it's the same idea but the visual spectacle that accompanies them is not satisfying. I'm not sure if it's the sound or if it's just the, the mm. lack of feeling of impact or the feeling mm. of when you hit the buttons right, you're not really getting this like response from the game that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you did it the correct way. There's no yeah, like yeah, yeah. flourish. There's no bam or click or whatever. Yes. It, they, yeah. feel, they feel like you're playing. It feels so. <laughs> this is something I wrote down. I apologize. But God of War feels like the, the, the QTE, you know, like designed like the way it should be. And then this feels like the Mad Cats version of QTEs. You know what I mean? <laughs> the third Mad party controller good, yeah. version yeah. of QTE. That's the way it feels to me. Gotcha. Yeah. But there's, there's also, in my mind, maybe they're not that different, but the two kind of different takes on the QTE, which is like the get to the end of a boss fight and it forces you to do a little section where you're kind of running up the wall or whatever, chasing after them. You have to hit a few things. If you miss one, typically like when you're in the middle of like a a bit where the two of you are like pressing your lightsaber against each other, 
you'll get like a little kick back and you'll have to start it again and do like the sequence again. Um, and some of those were quite easy. At least they were relatively forgiving. But there's also the the things when you just beat a big enemy. And a lot of these were in the first game repeatedly rancors about eight times mm-hmm. and ATSTs and things. It's like you get to get to the point where they've only got like 20% of their health left. And in some of these cases, I feel like you could have just continued attacking them and just you finishing can, them off. actually, yeah. yeah. You don't have yeah. to do the QTE. Yeah, sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't seem to for me. I'm not I'm not sure right. why, whether it's specific enemies or Maybe. Um, in the second game. I mean, I think certainly using... bosses insist on, uh, insist on QTEs. Yes, definitely. Well, that's, well. that's a cut scene, basically, in the boss ones almost. But some of these ones would like... Um, yeah, the kind of the cool attack that you do at the end. I did enjoy them, like the Rancor ones, where you're very much like you kind of stick them a couple of times with the um, the lightsaber, like leave it in them, and then just sort of force lightning them, and they sort of crumple down yep. into a heap. I really like the AT, um, you know, the Walker ones where you yeah, basically great just animations. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like you pick yeah. them up into the air and just crunch them into crunch cubes, them. Yeah. like yeah, um, really cool, like Mr. Burns's car. It's like you come and you've got thirty minutes to remove your crushed ATST. They could have read. They could redo that with. Uh, I mean, maybe I suppose there's there might be a bit of it in uh, Jedi Survivor, but yeah, with modern haptics and and modern understanding about um, how to sell something that's you know akin to a QTE, mm. uh, it, it's close to being awesome, but not quite there for me yeah yeah and i feel like that's maybe not something that we really see now you're talking about like qtes and stuff in in more modern games for various accessibility reasons i think some of those have been lost so i remember um i can't remember if all of the games did this but the resident evil 3 remake from a couple of years ago had an option to basically instead of mashing the button oh yeah most most games have that now which yeah i I always choose it absolutely Uh, like the the one I specifically remember being quite good at that was the um, Insomniac Spider-Man game, because yeah. that which game is fairly heavy on QTEs and its boss fights, but yeah, um, it's they, true. It, it yeah. does make them make them very approachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, uh, it's an inc- increasingly common option is to swap ma- mashing out for holding or or and toggle run, you know, toggle clicks on and off and things like yeah. that, which is um, essential for some people and just useful and pleasant for the rest of us. I do think there is actually something to be said for selling moments with hammering a button i think there is a certain you know there's a certain intensity and that kind of almost discomfort you get from it is yeah can be a good thing in terms of selling the experience to the player but i also think sometimes i just can't be bothered and yeah it sounds bad and it feels bad on my controller obviously the controller's fine you know they 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 get tested for millions of button presses and whatever else but yeah i just I just don't, yeah, I just don't want to, I just don't want to. The the fact that you can fail them and then like it causes trouble. I had in uh, the second game, I think that very long sequence inside the spaceship where there are, there are multiple points where you go into a room and there are tons of enemies, including some of the really annoying ones that um, sort of blink out of existence and like Mm -hmm. phase back in and they'll put you with a load of them and stormtroopers. And the little spider things that you can just force blast away. But then also like two of the big robots with shields. And at that yeah. point, the robots are, um, you know, also like firing carbonite or fire or something at yeah, you as well. Yeah, so, like, freeze you. There's quite a lot of potential for uh, getting uh, grabbed by those spiders or, or frozen in place. And, and indeed, this game, maybe the first game even more so, has some actual uh stun lock situations yeah, where you definitely. can't even get out of being hit which is infuriating and yeah. A, yeah. a real games design kind of bet noir 
But yeah, like you get some of those QTEs and, you know, you're in one of those horrible rooms. You take down one of the robots to the point where the QTE thing happens. You start it and it will be like a button mash. And then, you know, they're never particularly long for these enemies. They only ever really do three, maybe four buttons. But Mm -hmm. when they're they're randomized and they're quite quick as well, like, you know, the first one you're going to do is Mm -hmm. you're going to jump up in the air and blast it. So it's always like mash B a bunch of times. But then the second one can either be like the Y, X, or A. It only lasts for like half a second. And if Mm. you're still mashing B, you just immediately screw it up. So to have that, when you're like being bombarded by enemies on all sides, you mess it up. The creature blooming chucks you to the floor and like kicks you. And then suddenly you're taking damage from everywhere again. It's so disheartening because you're you're also, you want to kill this thing and like get the health that's going to come flooding out of it. And you screw up the QTE and it's just miserable. While we're on the negative stuff, I also had some weird moments. Both games, I think, where my health was fine. I'm using you can, uh, as with the the recent uh, Jedi games, you can uh, customize your lightsabers. But in this case, they they have effects like uh, extracting more health or using less force to use powers or stuff stuff like this. So I'm using uh, kind of regenerating and and health sapping lightsabers. Um, and I'll, so I'll generally be on, especially on normal difficulty, I'll be on top of the health situation. But then suddenly the game will just arbitrarily or randomly, or it's I, th- I assume it's a glitch, will just decide that one particular attack takes all my health. Not yes. not falling off anything, yeah. but like a, a robot will like stomp me or something and it will just go, yep, you're dead now. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the first game in particular has this achingly long fade out and achingly long fade back in before mm-hmm. you're given control as yeah. well. And Amazing. it's brutal. Like the difficulties in this game are brutal. There are various points where, even on the medium one, I thought, "Wow, this is actually like this mm. is a lot for medium." Um, the Sith Lord difficulty, which I did play through the first game and could not face myself to even remotely try it on the second one as well. Mm. Although I did do it thirteen years ago, so you oh, know, right. I'm sort of wow. largely forgotten about it. You can sort of. I, I played a little bit earlier just to pop some more achievements. You can yeah. actually make progress because even if you die if you get a checkpoint you can just kind of you just keep restarting at the last checkpoint so it's yeah. all about it's that sort of yeah it's like the last of us or halo it's all, all about making the next checks checkpoint even if you're on the hardest setting but i imagine some of the bosses on the hardest difficulty are yeah just for sure horrific and this spikes so, as well yeah. that that crazy frog boss that i keep talking about who's mm. like at the end of the second or the third level that is such a hard boss fight on that difficulty yeah. i remember that being like possibly long the as well multiple thing in the phases. whole game yeah the bosses and the spikes at those jedi bosses now on mm. one level i'm like i find it very cool that they treat them as po- these most powerful beings and these these fights are really hard but when they switch the angle of the fight so all of a sudden you're no longer behind the character you're just kind of viewing the arena from the side 100% and there's yeah. no way to gauge when you're being hit or diff- aside from looking at your health bar constantly they, there's no like like not a real parry or dodge mechanic to to know like to where you're going to be able to avoid things. No, and then they throw into these arenas. Sometimes there's that one that has like the poison or lava sacks on the ground or whatever that you mm. can't step on, and and then and then you're you're not quite sure. Like you you'll go in with a force attack and they'll repel it and that's fine. And all of a sudden you can't do anything. They attack you, but then you you do the same thing to them, and they it seems like you should be doing damage to them, but yeah. there's no indication of whether you can or you're not, and. Those fights, oh man, the, like mm-hmm. by the end of that first game. Now the second game has maybe to its detriment, maybe to its benefit, has almost none of those. Um, but except for the final boss. Um, but 
man, the, those those fights became so frustrating for me because I would get through a level relatively successfully. By the way, you can run past ninety percent of the enemies in this game and just keep moving. I was um, thinking that, but yeah. why would you want to? <laughs> right? No, I yeah, I, I <laughs> rob all the fun I, out of the game. But yeah, unless... I suppose you need it for the kind of the XP, such as it is. <laughs> So there's, not to go on a tangent, there was one section on the Rancor planet where it had just an annoying amount of those shamans that would protect the other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. died twice, and I'm like, you know what? Nah. Skip I just this. ran right by, and that yeah, was it. But, it's an option. Um, but, so anyway, you get to those you get to those end of those levels, and you, you know they're setting up for this big confrontation. It wants to feel like this big moment, right? This Jedi versus Dark Jedi clash. And it those just became so frustrating at no point in any of those fights, including the final bosses. Did I feel powerful at all? It felt like it was taking all of the agency from me that I'd had throughout the regular levels. And I just, it just hit the wall. And then I remember this is where I bounced off the game way back when it came out. Right. I'm on Raxus prime. I just Mm -hmm. did the first big Jedi fight, got him, And there's one of those junk monsters that, that forms. I'm having trouble locking on it with my force stuff and throwing at it. No, there's no health bar, so I'm not realizing if my lightsaber is doing any damage or not. I finally take that thing down. I pull down a path for myself. I double jump onto the path. I fall right through the floor and die. <laughs> and my checkpoint was from before I awesome. had beaten the junk yeah. monster, and I just said, you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Junk now, fortunately, tested. I did that the first time uh, on my playthrough recently, so I, I felt better about it but still no, I, th- I think i know the moments. spot you're talking about when you have to you like fire up an engine or something to yes make something yep. move there is the some thing, wonky yeah. geometry in that level because there is a massive yeah. pit all and around visually you. it's so messy it's so yes. unclear where yeah. you're supposed to go all this stuff and it's at no, it, we are sort of laying into the game at the moment which is which is quite funny um i was going to say the the thing i wanted to say about the the camera and those boss fights is it clearly was designed to look awesome in screenshots because it really does. <laughs> right. Like if yeah. you look at a still screen, they've, they've got a whole kind of depth of field effect and every, you know, both characters tend to be in the shot most of the time, but it totally takes away your ability to judge space and, uh, and, and distance and see, yeah, environmental hazards, things like that. So totally player unfriendly, uh, seems to be more of a marketing aspect than a than a than a gameplay aspect. well the same thing with the um star destroyer right that's funnily yeah. enough that is one of the few things 15 years later that i remember solidly about the first game was that there's a bit where you pull a star destroyer out of the sky and hearing you know the correspondence saying that mm-hmm. that was like a trailer capping set piece yeah yeah perfect it they showed it off at e3 or something with that yeah. just saying look at this you can yeah. do this and everyone How was like cool Whoa. would it be to rip a star destroyer out of the sky really like, well, not would, cool but yeah. maybe not <laughs> not how it was implemented unfortunately i mean that said i you know coming back to more positives uh while as brian says you can actually elect to skip quite a lot of the the combat sections you do spend most of the time going from room to room corridor to corridor in many cases occasionally something more organic and yeah fighting big groups of toy figures basically that you can totally manipulate to your will you can make them commit suicide you can make them attack each other you can electrify them you can pick them up and throw them into generator fans you can throw them out of windows um you you can uh you can just carve them up with nice combos and in the second game there's a lot of actual decapitation and and limb removal and things like this um, and I have to say, I had a blast playing through most of these 
sections throughout both games. Um, I was expecting to come back to this game and think 15 year old Xbox 360 PS3 generation knew it was janky, knew it was a bit rough around the edges, a bit unrefined, but actually the most of the time I was having such fun. It really did evoke the feelings that I had as a kid playing star Wars figures. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. It's hard to argue with that. Like it's, it's also slightly hard to put all of that praise onto the game for, for the way that that is, but it feels like for better or worse, like star Wars is such a, like an all encompassing thing that everybody is aware of at least to some extent. And, it's certainly in the sort of circles we're in, like everybody has some love for it. Like it's, it's difficult to not kind of invoke a little bit of nostalgia and a little bit of kind of joy from even just like hearing the noises and seeing like the explosions of colors and stuff. Like yeah. there is a reason that star Wars is one of the biggest properties in, you know, in history. And it is, I'm, it's just cause it's bombastic and ridiculous. And it, you know, a game like this works perfectly. Like it should be fun to just force push a whole load of stuff and to just like explode things and blast lightning everywhere and pick dudes up and throw them around. Like it seems like such a, an easy layup for making something that's fun. So the fact that I think we've all at least, you know, with all of the, negativities in in sort of very small aspects of it the fact that mm. we've all enjoyed playing through these games especially because mm. we've all done it over the last couple of weeks is you know it, it it would i feel like it would be hard to make something like this dour and dull like it's got <laughs> to be fun i think yeah. there's some out there <laughs> uh, yeah, i think probably. i think yeah it just super bombad it, it, racing uh, <laughs> it it um it checks it, it checks the box of a game where you have access to the force and that box for me is will there be multiple sections where there are multiple stormtroopers having a conversation near the edge of a cliff if there are <laughs> and i can force push them out into oblivion like that never feels bad like that and the way that like certain force powers in this game do work and the way that they feel and the way the game physics react to it like there are moments in this game where you feel uh like just incredibly powerful like some of those sections with those little spiders we talked about earlier and you can do that big force explosion you know you see like they've set it up perfectly you walk in the center of the room and all of a sudden there's a hundred mm -hmm. spiders coming in from all angles surrounding and you do that big you. and do they all splat against the wall yeah. like yeah that feels awesome every time yeah yeah, yeah. there's an achievement and, for destroying 200 of those things and it is like yeah. a little bit you sort of you might look down the achievement list or something before you play this and think mm -hmm. 200 that's quite a lot it's and about 20 realize, a time yeah yeah i think i got that in like the second room that they appeared <laughs> right, in yeah and then there were about 20 more rooms beyond that with the same numbers it's like oh it, it, it's, is that even an achievement killing 200 of them like make me kill 10,000 of them like uh, if you want John, me to be you're coming missing the back point. you just need the points <laughs> you just got to add to the score the number goes up that's that's all that matters i'm really... an achievement monster I really do think there are a couple of aspects that work better for me in this than in Respawn's recent games. And that is the feeling of being a powerful force user. Uh, and I, I enjoy, I enjoy, you know, we did a Fallen Order show. I'm playing Survivor sporadically. I enjoy those games. And uh, in many ways, they're slicker, more refined. The level design is more coherent and all this other stuff. But the other thing that I really liked going back to a game of this era. So I guess we're a couple of years after Uncharted 1 and a few years after Prince of Persia. But this game actually lets you do the platforming. Unlike so many modern games, including the the 
the respawn Jedi games, it, the pra- the platforming is not completely pre prescribed. You get to fall off platforms. Admittedly, sometimes it's janky. It's annoying. Sometimes the geometry isn't clear or convincing. But I love the fact that I actually get to play this game like a, an old fashioned gamer. It's not just a series of yellow rungs that you just point the controller towards. Just yeah, me. Right. No, no, no I, absolutely. Yeah, I, it, it is. Like you said, it, it can be annoying, like in that mushroom planet, you got to go up all those things. And yeah. I found myself falling down a million yeah. times and all that stuff. But yeah. the, it does. The thing that it gives you, though, and the freedom in that is that you see a jump or you see an item across the way. And you know that if you break the game in the right way, you can get to that. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Even if you don't do it in the way that it was prescribed, right? So, like, yeah, there's clearly this line of platforms, but there's a weird bit of geometry sitting out for the wall. Can I stand on it? Oh, I can. Mm-hmm. And I can jump up. Like, it, those moments are fun. It, it, that's, like, some of my, uh, some of the most fun I had playing this game. Like, you see a holocron in the first game that's kind of tucked away and be like, I bet there's a way I can get to that before before I'm supposed to, in big quotes. And most times you could. You yeah. know, it just, yeah. it's it does allow you to to kind of jump around and be that, you know, that flipping around idiot Jedi mm. who gets to the place. Yeah. And um, I, I did jump like an air moments. dash. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only time that I found myself frustrated with that was when you're being peppered with combat during those moments that stall progress. But that's just, you, know, you got to kill all the things before you start your flipping around. <laughs> so. How much fun is it to, uh, to initially get uh, pinned down by a load of, jump troopers or whatever they're called oh they fly now 15 years ago or 15 years before the uh the uh the much memed bit from rise of skywalker here we've got flying stormtroopers but electrifying them all and watching them fly off like boba fett oh, yeah. in return of the oh, yeah. jedi yeah and also uh again silliness sure um i think there's a wilhelm at some at one point oh in, i heard in... multiple wilhelm screams yeah. during this <laughs> uh but there's also a uh, one of the Jedi mind tricks is uh, is make them throw themselves off a cliff and or a walkway, of course, because this is Star Wars. There are many high walkways and giant fans and things, shafts and whatever. Yeah, not fans, not very f- big fans of guardrails. Yeah, in the uh, no. Star Wars universe, so, health and safety. I think Family Guy riffs on that, doesn't it? In the one of their <laughs> one of their um, things. But yes, they actually one of the stormtroopers actually goes, "I regret nothing," and throws himself <laughs> off. And um, I laughed. Yeah. Bring it on. So according to Wikipedia, as I mentioned earlier, The Force Unleashed 3 was planned, but ultimately scrapped following Disney's acquisition of Lucasfilm in 2012. As a result of the acquisition, The Force Unleashed project became part of the non-canonical Star Wars expanded universe, also known as Star Wars Legends, and never received a proper conclusion. Uh, You mentioned achievement hunting there. Brian, I was finding I'm I'm one of those players who likes to see them pop, will occasionally go for one, but never uh or rarely kind of has to catch them all. I'll I'll happily walk away before I've got the hundred percent. But um <laughs> Oh sorry, John, I didn't mean to leave you out there. <laughs> um but there's uh there's uh, I, I think I came back to my uh Force Unleashed one uh, 14 years and 10 months later having since i last popped the uh the dark side achievement and then coming back with uh getting the yeah some couple of the couple of the other achievements 15 years later near enough um i guess i've got about 5 to 600 gamer score so there's probably 
more to go back and do. I think, did they add some for DLC as yeah, well? Yeah, so, the yeah. first game has got two DLC packs. It goes up to about 1350 or something, I think. Right. Okay. So there's plenty to do here. Um, and yeah, uh, good stuff, fun stuff, or, or boring, menial stuff. I didn't find it that engaging. Like John said, yeah. there's a lot of them that you get that like are like the, the count ones, you know, knock a certain amount of yeah. people off with this, use this power, kill a hundred enemies with force lightning or whatever. And mm-hmm. those, I, I definitely, I'm unfortunately an achievement person to where I, when I know it's an achievement, I'm like, well, I'm going to kill the next hundred enemies with force. Yeah. Lightning. So uh, I, make uh, it happen. Uh, I can, um, I can, I can, yeah. when, that. I probably would have got it naturally anyway. Um, but yeah, not, not many of these, I think that were that, um, there's, there's difficulty locked ones on like Sith Lord difficulty, yes. Sith Master difficulty, and those are like hundred point achievements. So yeah. I'm sitting right around that five, 600 point as well. I can't remember exactly, but I think the two games are quite different. Like I'm looking at the, the first game now, which I've finished everything of it 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, the first game is quite basic. I think. There's a lot of story stuff. There's a lot of like, yeah, defeat 100 enemies with each of the powers. Some of them get higher than that. There's like 500 enemies with certain things. Two different endings for the game and different difficulty levels and stuff. Uh, you, uh, a lot of it's not really kind of pushing you to do anything too wild. But the the second game is where they start adding in lots of the kind of the more fun things to it. So the second one is specifically like yeah make the enemies jump off the edge like overload yeah. the the flying guys jetpacks like yeah. drop kick mm-hmm. the ewoks like shove the guys into Kill the pinball three enemies machines with the bowling like, ball yeah. yeah i think they kind of they found the 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 sweet spot with i think one of the dlcs or the two dlcs for the first ones have got kind of more like interesting technically missable stuff for for just kind of doing silly fun things and then the second game seems to just play straight into it and it's just like yeah, we have all of the same sort of things as the first one, but also, yeah, do all these fun things, like kill all these enemies in silly ways. And generally the the numbers for those are quite low, so it will be like, you know, chuck 10 enemies out of windows and stuff. And that's, yeah, that's that's a laugh for the second one that is certainly makes me kind of more um, more appreciative of the list because I'm, you know, I am quite a big achievement guy. I'm kind of less of a just make the number go up and more of like, I want to see like, if I start a game, I like to try and get all the achievements. So I guess, you know, if it's a trophy situation, I'd say I'd be like a platinum kind of person. Yeah. Um, but much more specific about what games I actually play. Um, and I think I, I really appreciate any game that kind of has fun with an achievement list and makes yeah. you play it in a way that you might not otherwise and like mm-hmm. introduces challenges and stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I think that's that's basically like the best way that you can do achievements is make people realize that there are things you can do in this game that you might not have already, you know, yeah. you might not have done otherwise. And yeah, I think certainly the Force Unleashed 2 does a really good job with that. There's Both games have uh, galleries and uh, development art and uh, sort of uh, data bank, I suppose, with uh, information and stuff like that for further reading for big Star Wars fans, for fans of the Star Wars uh, Legends canon, as it is now. But uh, my favourite was undoubtedly, and although I only spent about half a level wearing it, uh, Guybrush Threepkiller was was a good moment. Uh, Veronica Jane had alerted me to this via our Patreon, who said, what can I say about Force Unleashed 2? Well, it has that one hidden costume that makes you look like Guybrush Threepwood. That's something. And yes, I actually stumbled across it and um, unlocked it organically. It wasn't very difficult, but um, you go into a room 
there's a sort of blue hologram of Jabba's palace, but the the room is adorned with multiple large golden or bronze statues of Guybrush Threepwood pointing to it. Uh, so I simply picked up something with the force and threw it <laughs> at the Jabba's palace, <laughs> which was playing a Monkey Island theme uh, or piece of music from Monkey Island. And uh, one of the cubes appears. You pick it up, and yes, nice. you not only you not only dress in Guybrush Threepwood's outfit, but you become him. Like you've got a cartoon Guybrush Threepwood head and whatever else. So, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see this. I don't know if I actually unlocked this and didn't realize that I had. But um, I, I've not seen this character model until now. That is um, that is a freaky looking dude. It is. It doesn't quite fit, but it also is. You know, it's a very nice Lucasfilm Lucas Arts moment. I thought. Yeah. So the DLC is an interesting situation, as you discovered, John. Uh, so the first game had two. Uh, sections uh dlc mission packs jedi temple and tatooine i absolutely think it has a third one as well that is less um doesn't have i don't know though. because it doesn't have achievements right okay. i think there's a hoth one as well possibly added yeah in. i think you're right yeah okay um so these are uh, uh still full price on the xbox marketplace oh, yeah. don't um, know about psn or or anywhere else maybe they maybe yeah. they're included in the ultimate sith edition on pc that prime game away gave away apologies for not having checked that i, I, I think they are i looked into that john, Sounds, john yeah. and i were having a little me. conversation about that on slack just mm. like it's and it's kind of one of those things and john you'd mentioned this too so don't let me steal your talking point but no, it's right. it's the games the games themselves get discounted but the dlc kind of yeah. sometimes stays yeah. perpetually undiscounted these are like six pound 80 right yeah else. Yeah, I would have, would've... I would have thrown down a dollar or two for each one of these, sure. you know, to play them through just for an academic purpose for the yep. show. But um, but yeah, they were they were restricted some achievements for a game. See, yeah. so, I mean, these yeah. are fan service up the wazoo, aren't they? That's, yeah, that, absolutely. Uh, they they play fast and loose with the canon, but mm-hmm. they're obviously designed as just something to star full, fully Star Wars with which to play. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it would cost you like twenty odd quid 25 dollars to buy the set for the first game yeah still? and and yeah. the first game obviously you can now pick it up on a disc copy from you know your right. friendly local cex or whatever it's probably like a quid or two quid yes the it, digital yeah. version on xbox which i imagine probably didn't exist when they were released i don't mm. think in can't 2008 what, when, yeah i can't remember buy. when they started just releasing full games on the store but you're you're probably right because Hence my story of buying it on a disc in Tesco. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been that much later. I feel like there were maybe three years, four years later for sure. They were giving like um, a lot of uh, fuss about yeah. like games with gold and things. So obviously digital releases of main games at that point were, were a mm. thing. But I suspect in 2008, you probably couldn't. Yeah. I have a funny feeling that it wasn't even until like the elite console or the connect or something that you could mm. even install a game to your hard drive possibly like one of it the was updates the, it was part point. of the nxe update i think wasn't it they they added the ability but obviously with the initial systems obviously you had the the one without the hard drive so they yes. had to they had to bear in mind that some people yeah. only had the 256 yeah. megs of flash memory or whatever it was. the elite console i don't think there was anything bigger than a yeah. 20 gigabyte hard drive right. so yeah, you wouldn't so have been able to no install point, anything yeah. they had yeah. um, i used to th- <laughs> I used to think that was ridiculous. No, not, I'm sorry, I cut you off. I, I just no I was twenty gigs how, used to sound huge. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, well, I used to think it was ridiculous that big empty cavern on the top of your Xbox 360 to put a hard drive. I'm like, what would you ever need that for? And then now with modern <laughs> consoles, I would love yeah. an external slot to just be able to put a, yeah. you know, an SSD, you know, yeah. just on the outside, just click and be like, that'd be great. I've wedged an SSD into my PS5, you know. Oh, have you? I want to yeah. do that soon, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would just love, like, and I was like, oh, there, there's the a Xbox cavity. The has one, effectively, here. doesn't it? It yeah, does yeah. have a little slot on the back. Yeah, it does. I think they're only proprietary yeah. things that you can... Yeah, but there's no, third, there's no third-party ones, which are mm. a bit cheaper. Yeah. yeah, I got the one terabyte one of those. It works yeah. It works surprisingly well, but yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just funny, you know, to think about the but, yeah. how things have moved forward but something yeah. still feel a little backwards yeah but this, this was very much a point where you know they were still having quite heavy restrictions on the size of um arcade Downloads games and, and XBLA, stuff for the yeah. first couple of years yeah um so yeah i think the uh like the digital version of the first game must have come along a few years after it released probably but i imagine it was probably released at full price um mm-hmm. The same that they've now done with lots of the old 360 um, digital games. This has now been cut. So I was looking at it on the store earlier. It's now eleven ninety nine to buy a digital version of okay. it, which you can do directly through your Xbox yeah. new consoles. Um, and that's now that's now just the full price is is twelve pounds. I'm assuming fifteen dollars. Yeah. Um, but it is frequently on sale. At the point we were having this conversation last week, I think both games were two ninety nine in the UK. Oh, okay. So, it's like, ridiculously tenth, cheap. The price of the DLC if you want the complete edition. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Well, I mean, you know. But, I mean, I guess that's the argument, is Microsoft have to reduce the price of the digital game because you're not going to go and spend 40 quid on a digital version when it's £2 in CEX. You're probably not going to spend £12 on a digital version when it's 2 quid in yeah. CEX. Although there are now multiple consoles that don't have disk drives and stuff active for... for all platforms um but yeah the idea that you can't buy this dlc apart mm. from through the store or at least it's difficult there is possibly a a, dig- um, a disc copy of the game that has it but there are probably not very many copies of it no. flying around sure. obviously it's so, all second hand and stuff now versions. yeah so um, this and is, i this assume is the only disney, way. disney still makes some cash every time they because there, there will be completionists who will definitely get this and hoover it up so. definitely but, yeah. i mean apart yeah. from anything else i've always been very very kind of sale oriented with anything that i buy i slightly suspect that part of the reason that i didn't buy the first force unleashed game for two years or get it was because i knew there'd be dlc at some point i bet you anything the time that i actually was playing it was once the dlc had been released and had been in like its mm. first sale for half price or two-thirds off right so that that's basically the way that I do all, all of these things. And there was a kind of a realization a few years ago that I was sitting on a whole load of DLC for Xbox 360 games, hoping that it would get reduced at some point. And like six years had gone by and none of it had been reduced again. Like they do certain things for very specific games. Um, but there's a lot of stuff, especially now anything that's like not backwards compatible or whatever um, just will not probably ever get reduced again so you are now stuck in this this weird situation where yeah the main game is 12 pounds the dlc packs are all nearly yeah, seven pounds yeah. and they except yeah. in the the case of the sequel where endor is yes less than a quid right it is yeah it got re- it got released <laughs> at the the lowest possible price point apparently um interesting yeah, I'm not entirely sure why. There's talk about the fact that they feel um, the developers might have been originally going to include it in the main game and cut mm. it out. 
mm. uh, and then released it for a small price afterwards and apparently wanted to release it for nothing but weren't allowed to mm. literally put out extra content with achievements for no money at that point in time so yeah i mean the 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 kind of the scuttle butt is that it was sort of a make good for not having released it with the main game or for the main game not being as long as it should have been yeah um but yeah that one is perpetually 65p on the store so <laughs> Have at it if you want to kick. Worth, worth it just to kick twenty Ewoks. Right? Oh, definitely, and yeah, you get to murder <laughs> Chewie and Han, and then you have a boss fight Good. with Princess Leia at the end of it. So, as you say, it will extremely non-canonical. <laughs> Wu Quinglong from our forum says the original Force Unleashed was one of the few single-player titles I experienced on my Xbox 360. I remember having a lot of fun with the physics engine, and pulling a star destroyer out of orbit with the Force is a particular highlight lodged in my memory. With that being said, I don't remember much else about the game and it sits in a weird place with me as a fun game that I don't remember very clearly. The sequel didn't fare much better in that regard as all I really recall is the ending that looked to set up a continuation that was never to be. They were both some quick Star Wars fun and for that alone I'm more than happy to have experienced them despite the lack of impression they've left on me. Yeah, it sounds like Lucas went pretty big on the original Force Unleashed in terms of marketing it was uh it was a multimedia project with a graphic novel which i think is still available uh if you're curious and uh, at a toy fair or toy fair in 2007 hasbro showed seven figures from their action figure line based on the game and lego released a model of the star killer's ship the rogue shadow and of course namco included yoda vader and the Apprentice, as he was known at that point in Soul Calibur 4, which you can also still buy on digital marketplaces, certainly on the Xbox, or find an old disc thereof, uh, if you want to play as him uh, in in Namco's otherwise completely separate fantasy sword fighting series. There has been one nod to The Force Unleashed, at least one very obvious famous one in Andor, which is set around the same period. Uh, the Starkiller armor was seen in the. Well, it's a uh, 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 no spoilers, but there's a there's a sort of uh, antiquities shop, which is the front for part of the nascent rebellion, and Starkiller's armor is sitting there as an exhibit, presumably available to buy. Um, probably just the producers having some fun. But uh, it could be taken that that means they're going to write some of this back into canon. But I wouldn't mm. be so sure. Hmm. We've got a few three word reviews. Follow us on the social media places at Kane and Ritz, if you will. Sean, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this right. Uh, Gato Gierke says better on we. Uh, ben Johnson says storm th uh, stormtrooper throwing simulator. Snood the Bubble says Ragdoll Physics. And Robert Farley says Rise of Starkiller. Very nice. We didn't even go into the history of the Starkiller name because I think everyone knows it by now. It's been used in different ways by different things. Uh, right. Just to summarise these two games, would we even recommend them on those digital stores or CEX £1 discs? Let's start with John. Um, yeah, I think that probably, as as is often the case, the uh, 
the last piece of correspondence you read out actually has has kind of summed up some of my no. thoughts on this very well. Do it just um, to spite you. Yeah, well, you know, no, uh, no particular complaints. Um, yeah, I think this is a slightly weird situation where, as discussed at length, there are some things about the game, specifically the first game, that I think are extremely of their time. And it's kind of weird that I don't really remember very much about actually playing the game. But I remember, like, in my head, like, The Apprentice, Starkiller, the, you know, the look Sam Witwer's face and his, like, his hairstyle and stuff in this and the, the sort of the glower on his face are so iconic that... I feel like the the marketing for this game or maybe the word of mouth or maybe just the sort of the legacy of it kind of did the job that they wanted like I'm I'm still slightly shocked and not you know shocked I suppose not really but you know disappointed that all of this extended universe stuff has been semi discarded um I know it's ridiculous the extended universe stuff for Star Wars like the legend stuff it covers vast vast quantities and you know varying qualities of content and you know obviously you can't have a, a piece of content canon where Darth Vader's apprentice murders a bunch of people who are then key to the movies that are canonically set you know whatever six months after this game is set or something like that um but it's still I still find it disappointing that they're basically in some ways have been just removed from canon and you get the feeling that Disney would like you to just forget that this stuff exists and they won't ever be following on with anything or you know maybe they will at some point when you know they get fed up of whatever new ideas they've got um but I think for for that in that respect these games have kind of left their legacy and they've certainly left their their kind of impression on me um I think it's interesting going back to this um certainly for myself but also you know, the two of you are exactly the same. Like, we all played this close to launch. Obviously, all were at least enjoyed it to some extent, but also frustrated with it. And none of us thought it was necessary a couple of years later to to go and play the sequel, which was probably not getting particularly good press at the time. Um, and I think, you know, that's a perfectly valid experience. I think I stand by my opinion of playing the first game, enjoying it to some extent, but also finding it frustrating, and then saying, nah, you know what, I don't really need another one of these right now. Um, but removed by 13 and 15 years respectively, like, just going back to these this week, you know, already having them in my library from whatever Games with Gold or exceedingly cheap digital purchase at some point with the DLCs and stuff on a, a new console that, looks better than they did when they were released like it doesn't matter that these games are like five hours to just blast through on you know one of the lower difficulties it's just kind of fun to do it like it just it's still it for all the problems that we've talked about at length like it still feels awesome to just throw lightsabers around and blast dudes with with big force pushes and throw people off ledges like it never stops being fun and the idea of like destroying the scenery and stuff with lightsabers and and force powers is great and it's very difficult to to take away the fact that it is just big stupid fun playing both of these games and you know if if it was the situation where i'd gone out on day one and spent 40 pounds and come back if that was the way that it was now and i played this in an afternoon I might be annoyed with it, but that's not really how games work nowadays. And there's no way that anybody who's listening to this who hasn't played it is ever going to going to have that experience of the game. So, I mean, for what it's worth now, like 
these things are extremely accessible. They're just a a bit of a silly nostalgic blast to play through and it's very difficult to not recommend them just purely based on that like almost everybody likes star wars or tolerates star wars like i know that's weird but i don't think i've ever heard anybody say actually i don't like star wars it's a bit rubbish apart from you know weird nerds on the internet there's a few who, contrarians yeah out there. who kind of don't like it for various other diversity reasons and that sort of thing but um it's very difficult to not feel the kind of enjoyment of making the lightsaber noises and, and just blasting stuff in this. So I think it's for, for all of the flaws that we've mentioned, it is basically a almost unqualified recommendation to <laughs> have a, have a bit of a mess about with. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great time revisiting these. I was thinking as I sometimes do, obviously it's uh, it's ultimately my choice to put these games on the list. And I was thinking, Oh, I've got to play that apparently quite rubbish sequel because i'd never played it and i should probably revisit the first one as well and i wasn't expecting much at all and uh i found yeah shonky weird bits and irritating qtes and repetitive level design and encounter design and uh yeah all kinds of difficulty spikes frustrating bosses all that stuff but despite all that uh, I just, yeah, I just had a really good fun time with these games, despite their shortcomings and limitations. Yeah, the sequel, you can tell, had a rushed development in a number of ways. Although that said, you know, it still has a beginning, a middle and an end. And after a fashion, it's all wrapped up. And uh, and it does actually have some bits which I think are, are pretty spectacular and do stand up quite well. Uh, overall, I think the first game may be slightly, yeah, maybe more raw in some ways. Um, there are some refinements in the second game, but also the the scope of the first game is is greater with, with more variety in terms of locales and enemies and things like that. But the thing that I'll remember are the, the moment-to-moment combat encounters running into a room full of, who cares, rebels, stormtroopers, aliens, robots, children, whatever uh as long as i can combo them with my lightsaber and it makes the lightsaber noises slam them out the the windows sending everything flying with within the the havoc physics with my force repulsion um there's a couple, a couple of throw grapple moves we didn't even mention with some nice animations attached and uh and those yeah that's the highlight for me and i suppose suppose out of the total playing time of about 12 to 15 hours for both games probably about half to two thirds of that time is spent just doing that. The, the combat encounters and the rooms, a bit of platforming, some of which, as I say, I actually appreciate because it's far less rote than a lot of modern AAA games are with their platforming allows you to make your mistakes, sometimes frustrating other times quite enjoyable and, and, and freeing to be able to actually control your character while you're sending things. Um, so yeah, uh, as I say, it it really actually evoked for me the feeling of playing with my Star Wars figures, uh, which from yeah nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty three or whatever, which doesn't sound like long now, but when you're that age, it is a very long period of your life. Um, and I had magic times, and and it brought back some of those nice feelings. So yeah, video games flawed, sure, but. Yeah, if you've got any affection for Star Wars, uh, I would at least play the first one. But 
yeah, just play them both back to back. And yeah, as I say, you may already have them in your library if you've been collecting games with gold, if, if you're an Xboxy person. And as I say, the first game has a 16 times pixel boost on Xbox Series X as well, which looks, I think, pretty tremendous. So, yeah, uh, let's conclude with Brian. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to talk about after hearing you guys say that. And as John said about the last piece of correspondence, because we were all coming from very similar perspectives, I think, here. Um, I will say that playing through them over the course of the last couple of weeks, that there wasn't a time, there were several moments in my playthroughs where I was annoyed or frustrated or dejected by something that happened in the game. But I was very rarely not having fun. Um, so I know I know this is probably a, a controversial take, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that video games should be fun most of the time. Oh, and God, uh, I know, I know. Um, and this isn't just Here me trying again. to be, yeah, trying to be the positive guy. Um, cause these games have a lot of problems. Um, I explained my problems with the boss fights and, uh, the QTs and then some things with the graphics, especially in the first game. But when, when I was playing through that second, specifically force unleashed two, which I think in general is the one that, that is thought of as the, the, the lesser of the two games. I, I found that game to be streamlined and fun, and I thought the story was better than the first game. I thought the boss fights and the way it dealt with encounters was better than the first game. I thought it looked a little better um, in motion, and I think that if you're someone if you're someone who really cares about Star Wars but haven't played a ton of the games, I think you'd get a lot from this. I think you'd if you're someone who enjoys the ridiculous, like sometimes because of how ridiculous it is, like that that then I think you're somebody that would enjoy this, and I and I. And especially at the price you can get both base games for now, I don't I don't see it as much of a losing proposition as long as you know what you're getting yourself into. And I will say that um, the ending of the both the Force Unleashed 1 and Force Unleashed 2 both were like laugh out loud, isn't this ridiculous moments for me that I think it I don't think they measure up to the to the amount that the new Jedi games mean to me. I find the stories in those games very important. I think about those characters. I am, I'm, I'm thinking about what they're going to do when they make a next one. I, 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 I'm profoundly connected to the characters in those games. And in these force unleashed games, I view the cast and the character and story completely polar opposites. I don't really, I'm not really connected to any of them, but still when I'm playing through those games, it's just kind of a whimsical carefree approach and, and like I said before, you walk into a room and you chain a bunch of lightning together and force blast a bunch of guys to the other side of the room and they ragged all over the place. It, it still feels pretty good. So um, while I don't think they are nowhere near the top tier of games in the Star Wars franchise, um, I do think that there's a lot of fun to be had if you go back to these. And who doesn't like fun? Right. <laughs> So it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, John, Editor Jay, our correspondents, and of course, as always, you for listening. Next time, in issue 582, we find out who put the mist in mystery. (laughs) 